Welcome to the Baptist Pulpit. This podcast is designed to introduce to the audience Baptist preachers, both living currently in America or across the world, and also to introduce classic speakers, men of the past. There were Baptist preachers that have inspired men like myself for years to preach the Word of God. And they also, through their preaching, highlight Baptistic principles. Welcome to the Baptist Pulpit and our featured speaker today as Pastor Harold Seitler. He is our classic preacher of the past. Pastor Harold Seitler was born in 1914, on May 15, 1914, in the lower part of his beloved South Carolina. That is the state where he lived in his whole 81 years, and he ministered faithfully for 55 of those years. He often preached on a number of different topics, but one of them was on Christian training in a child's life. This is what he said about it. He said, among my earliest recollections is an old grandmother with God's word in her lap, reading the story of Jesus and his love. He was very profound in preaching the word of God. In 1943, he founded a daily radio ministry, The Bright Spot Hour, which is still heard uh, on many, many radio stations across America. He uh, came to Greenville in 1952 and was the pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church on Whitehorse Road there in Greenville. Pastored there for 42 years and two months until his death in September of 1995. During his years at Tabernacle, Dr. Sightley founded uh, a children's home, the Tabernacle Baptist Bible College, a Christian school, the Helen Grace Seitler Widow's Apartments, a daycare center, and two radio stations. He kept busy. He loved God's Word. He was an advocate for the King James Bible and independent Baptist fundamentalism. He loved the Baptist thought. And so today's message is on Baptist distinctives. I pray that the message will be a blessing to you today. I, I marvel at the independent movement. Thank God for it. I haven't always been an independent Baptist preacher, but I have for 34 years. 12 years, I passed the two Southern Baptist churches, and I graduated from a Southern Baptist school long before there was a Tennessee Temple in sight. But 34 years, I've been an independent Baptist preacher, and I plan to die an independent Baptist preacher. A fundamental independent Baptist preacher. And I'm so glad I can find so many of you with a like mind and like faith and like conviction to gather together this great conclave of independent Baptist people. The Southwide Baptist Fellowship was born 31 years ago in 1954 here at Highland Park. It was called in the Southern Baptist Fellowship for a year or two, but uh, we didn't want to be confused with Southern Baptists. And I still don't want to be confused with Southern Baptists. 
So we changed the name to Southwide Baptist Fellowship. And it's composed of independent Baptist preachers of the, uh, who are not yoked up with any other group. I'm not a Southern Baptist. I'm not a BDF. I'm an independent Baptist preacher. And I'm proud to be part of, uh, the Southwide Baptist Fellowship. Proud that you are part of the Southwide Baptist Fellowship. Now, to be invited to speak is a great honor that I just appreciate with all of my heart, and I appreciate uh, you responding to my being on the program tonight. But I want to bring a message tonight that I felt that I should bring, I should have brought two years ago when I spoke over in Charlotte at the uh, fellowship meeting, but I, I didn't bring it then. I brought another message on the grace of God and the story of Mephibosheth. And we took us a trip down to Lodi Bar, as Brother Bradley suggested a moment ago. And so I have another privilege now to bring the message I wanted to bring then. I want to speak to you on Baptist distinctives. Baptist distinctives. I've brought this message several times in local churches here and there when I preach. But I'd like to bring it tonight. I have two texts I want you to note. Proverbs 22, verse 28. And the uh, book of Acts. Uh, chapter number 16 and verse number 36. Acts 16 and verse 36. I'm sorry. Acts 15 and verse 36. Now, while you're turning to these two texts, let me mention uh, my books. We have the uh, table out to my right in the vestibule. I hope you'll go by and check them. I have 54 smaller uh, paperback booklets on the table that I've written down through the years that you may be interested in. I hope you'll get them. They're a dollar per copy. I have my sermon on the phenomena of the independent Baptist movement. I wish you'd read that. And then I, I reproduced a new book called Baptist in History that I didn't write. In fact, it was written 100 years ago by W. D. Harvey. And they're on the table. Every one of you ought to read that book. It shows you clearly that Baptists are not Protestant, and we need to recognize that fact. And the other, many others, my book on Blessed Assurance and Why the Christian Sovereign, How to Have a Happy Home, where the dead, why the Christian suffer, and all the others are listed on the, on the back cover. Then here's my commentary on Romans, a 375 page book. It's on the table there. You might be interested in that. This is my newest one, Hebrews and James, uh, 216, 268, I believe, uh, on Hebrews and James, there on the table. And then a pastor came to me a while ago and he said, uh, your book on the church is the finest I've ever read. Well, I appreciate that. There are eight sermons in this book on the church. The church of body, the church of bride, the church is marked, the church an organism, the church uh, an agency, and on down the line, eight different sermons on the church called Bam. And this is uh, 13 steps on again. 13 sermons on the second coming of our Lord. And this is our preach to my people. On 13 consecutive Sunday nights, we reproduce exactly as I brought them by our people. Go by the blue table and check uh, these books, if you will. Here's a pamphlet. Uh, written by my dear brother, Pastor David uh, Ralston of Louisville, Kentucky, on the King James uh, Bible. And it'd be good for you to read that. I read it last week, and I commended, I recommended you all to read that uh, book by all means. It's a good one, and I recommend it there on the table. And then he has a table, Brother Ralston has a table also there in the vestibule. All right, thank you so much for this blessed hour. Then Proverbs, chapter number 22 and verse number 28, Remove not the ancient landmarks that our fathers have set. Remove not the ancient landmarks that our fathers have set. This is a command. 
by the wise men of the Bible, to you and me and to all other of God's people down through the years, remove not the ancient landmarks which our fathers have set. And then here's the text of Scripture that I want you to note in uh, Acts 15, beginning with uh, uh, verse number 35. Uh, Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Paul and Barnabas in their work of teaching and preaching. And some days after verse number 35, uh, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. What about that? Paul and Barnabas, concerned about the churches that they had established in other cities in addition to Antioch, let us visit all these churches, Paul said, and we want to see how they do, and not as a, no, a, a busybody, uh, not to interrupt or not to try to usurp authority. Paul was no pope. Paul was no bishop. Uh, Paul was a preacher like you are, like I am. But he was concerned about the churches that he had founded uh, in his missionary tours. And he said, Barnabas, I have a desire to, re to revisit just to see the brethren that I've worked with, many of whom I've won to God, and the churches that we founded in our first and second missionary tour. Let's visit again to see how they do, not to dictate to them. I don't think any pastor has any right to dictate to any local church uh, except the one that he's pastor of. You have no right to bother any other church. But any preacher is concerned about other churches. I'm concerned about other churches. I preach for many, many of you in this building tonight. I guess a hundred preachers or more in this building. I preach far down through the years at meetings. And I'm concerned about every one of you for whom I've preached and whom I've known for a long, long time. I shook hands a while ago with some brethren, Brother Zeno Gross over in Winston-Salem, and Brother Perry also over at Burlington, the men in North Carolina, and uh, there Brother Hightower down in Mississippi and other places all over the country I preached. Well, I'm concerned about the churches of these brethren. I'm not their uh, bishop. I'm not their overseer. I'm a pastor of a local church like you are. And my responsibility basically and primarily is in tabernacle. But I am concerned about all the churches that I've been associated with one way or another down through the years. I'm concerned about you. I like to see the blessing of God upon you. I love to see your church move forward and grow in spirit as well as in number and as well as in finances. I'm concerned. And Paul and Barnabas evidently had the same concern because they said, we're going to make a visit and see how they are getting along, how they are doing in the work of the gospel. And that's a very legitimate thing to do and a good thing to do, to see how they get along. And I pray that all the churches represented at the Southwide Baptist Fellowship meeting in 1985 will get along good, prosper, and grow in the Lord, and grow in spirit, and grow in grace, and grow in number, Grow in power financially, grow in evangelism, grow in week by week, and Sunday by Sunday, I pray that will be the case of many churches represented in this meeting tonight. Now, my text in, in Proverbs warns me or reminds me that I'm not to remove the ancient landmarks. Uh, the landmarks to me is a reference to the great and profound doctrines of the Bible. 
uh, over in Greenville not too many days ago, somebody made a picture of a, a signboard in front of a church, uh, and they had on that sign, a doctrines divide, love unifies. Now, you can guess what kind of church that was in front of. But they made a picture of, of that sign and brought it to me, and when I saw it, uh, it said all I needed to know about that particular congregation. Uh, doctrines divide, how true that is. Right. Love unifies how true that is. I submit to you we need the most. We certainly need love. We need the doctrines of the Word of God. If the day ever come that we minimize the doctrines and compromise the doctrines of the Scripture, that day we destroy all that our fathers have handed down to me and you. God forbid that we do that. I want to be a faithful servant of my heritage, a faithful servant of my, my people, my, my, my family, and my preacher uh, friends that have gone on before me. I don't want to dip the colors, God forbid. I miss the familiar faces around Howland Park. I shook hands with Mrs. Bingham a while ago. I miss Brother Bingham. I passed by Brother Leroy Perry's church where he pastored for 20-odd years, and I miss Brother Leroy Perry. And others that I could mention, way back when Leroy first started the church here at Rossville, uh, Joe Parsons was alive, and now Joe is gone. I miss him so much. And others I could name, you see. Now, these men have handed to me and you a noble heritage, a great heritage, and God forbid that we compromise that heritage or remove the ancient landmarks that our fathers have set. My people came to this country in 1758 from the old country. I don't know for sure, but I would be all surprised if my uh, parents who came to this country and, sat and landed at Charleston, South Carolina, moved inland 100 miles to Lexington County near Columbia, and they're settled. I can carry to the grave of six of my granddaddies, all buried in South Carolina, all of them Baptist. But they came from Germany, and usually German people are not Baptists. They're Lutherans, or they're Catholic, one or the other. But my people came to this country Baptist, and because of that, and by the way, they came from Switzerland. Evidently, they had already had to flee Germany because of the Inquisition. All preachers know what I mean by the Inquisition. Uh, the Inquisition was set up in 1228 AD and was not uh, disbanded until 1808. 600 years, the Inquisitors hunted down my people, my Baptist fathers, hunted down some Protestants as well, hunted down Jews and murdered them, burned them at fiery stake, and they had to run for their lives. And many a Baptist person had to flee Germany into Bohemia and then flee Bohemia into Switzerland. And in 1758, I would be all surprised if my father uh, did not say, we'll go to the last place where we can worship God according to the Scriptures and according to the dictates of our heart. And they boarded a ship and crossed the Atlantic and landed in Charleston, South Carolina in 1758. And here I am in 1985, grandson number seven of that first Baptist who came to my country, and all of my parents, my grandparents were Baptists. I'd rather die than compromise what they stood for. I'd be better off dead than to compromise what they stood for. And chances are they were persecuted to the degree that they had to flee their homeland. Flee Europe and come to this new land and find a new home and carve out a new existence for themselves so they could be a Baptist and worship as a Baptist without any fear in their heart 
uh, of being apprehended in prison or put to death by the Inquisition and by the uh, Jesuit priest who handled the Inquisition. I have a great debt. You have a great debt. In this great crowd tonight uh, is my wife, and then in this great crowd is my grandson. From my loins, my son is in Greenville. My son is a doctor and practices in Greenville, but I have a daughter. And my daughter's in Greenville, and from her came my grandson. He's here, 20 years old. He's a Baptist preacher. I want to leave for him exactly what my people have left for me. Remove not the ancient landmark that thy fathers have set. What a heritage we have. There isn't a more noble group of Baptist people in the world than those assembled at Highland Park tonight. Not a greater group in all the world than these that have gathered here tonight with a great message, with a great heritage, and with a great Bible, and with great churches, and with great preachers in our midst, and great missionaries that we are in contact with and that we support in our churches and from our churches. What a great and affectionate door we have. And the greater the door, the more sure we must be that the ancient landmarks are not disturbed, are not moved. Now, I know the argument. I've been around a few years. I've been preaching 45 years. And I know the argument. We've got to conform. We must compromise a bit. We must let our standards down a bit. If we don't, we'll not uh, entice the executives, and we'll not entice the college people, and we'll not bring in the young people. We'll not be able to appeal to a great segment unless we compromise and cut the corners a bit and cool off a bit, make it desirable to them. We'll not waste them. My dear soul, we'd better have God on our side than to have the executives or the college people or the wealthy people. We can get along without the executives or the college people or the wealthy people, but we can't exist without God. We must stay with God. We must stay with this book. Remove not the ancient landmarks which our fathers have set. We travel the highways, you do and I do, and along the highway the highway department places faithful signs, and at the midnight when you travel along, you follow those signs, and those signs won't fool you. You have confidence in them. I've driven from Chattanooga under Greenville across the mountains by myself at the midnight hour. As long as I follow the signs, I'll arrive at destination. I've ridden down 75 to Atlanta and up 85 to Greenville many a time past midnight by myself. As long as I follow faithfully the signs, I'll arrive at destination. But suppose somebody came, some bando came during the night and uh, misdirected those signs, moved those signs, twisted those signs, put up false signs. And here I am traveling late at night by myself. Uh, and I get misdirected. I'd never, I'd never arrive at destination if that happens. Now, something like that is so in our great movement among Baptist people. We dare not move the ancient landmarks, lest our children and our grandchildren fail in their journey and in their sojourn upon this earth. Baptist people are very unique, most unique, very unique. And I want to point out several distinctives of Baptist people that I don't think anybody in the building could deny. And, and I want you to get them and mark them. Number one, Baptist people have the distinction of being the only non-Catholic and non-Protestant group in the Christian world. 
Now, did you get that? Baptist people, missionary Baptist people, as we are, have the distinction of being the only non-Catholic and non-Protestant group in the Christian world. Now, you name every church, every religion, every denomination in Chattanooga, and I can point you to the point of their origin. Most of them came out of the Catholic Church. You go to the Catholic Church at 7, I can point you to the birthplace of the Catholic Church at 325 at the Council of Nicaea. The oldest of all the denominations is the Roman Catholic Church. And from 325 down to 1517, uh, she had a monopoly. No other organized denomination, as far as I've been able to find out, in all the Christian world for those centuries until you get to the Protestant Reformation. Then there was a Roman priest that came on the scene early in the 1500s, whose name was Martin Luther, uh, who became disillusioned with the uh, ceremonies and rituals and the sacraments of the Roman Church, and who discovered by reading God's Word that men are justified by faith and not by the sacraments. And he became so disturbed with the Roman Catholic Church until in 1517 he stepped out. I admire him for stepping out. I reverence him for stepping out. And the Protestant Reformation was born in 1517. And with the Protestant Reformation came the Lutheran Church. And then soon after the Lutheran Church, you have the birth of the Episcopalian Church, the Church of England. And then a century or two later, you have the birth of the Methodist Church in England. And then in the middle 1700s, you have the birth of the Methodist Church in America, in the state of Georgia, your neighbor. The Methodist movement was born in America, in the state of Georgia, in the middle of 1700s. Then you also have many other of the churches, Protestant churches on the continent of Europe, born after Luther, after 1517. And then in 1845, the Southern Baptist movement was born also in your neighboring state, the state of Georgia, and Augusta, in 1845. And then about the turn of the century, about 1900, you have the Pentecostal movement born. There are no Pentecostal churches older. And not one Pentecostal church I know of in America that has on its cornerstone a date in the 1800s. There were no Pentecostal churches in the 1800s. All the Pentecostal people came out of Baptist churches, you see, before 1800. And at the turn of the century, 1900, came out of Baptist churches. And then in 1930 and 32, you have the birth of the World Baptist Fellowship under great leaders like, John, like J. Frank Norris. And then in 1950, you have the birth uh, of the, uh, uh, the uh, Bible Baptist Fellowship, uh, Springfield, Missouri, a great movement, no doubt. And then in 1954, you have the birth of the Southwide Baptist Fellowship, not a denomination. The Southwide Baptist Fellowship has never been a denomination. Not one of us are ready to vote to make it become a denomination. I don't want to be identified with any denomination. I am identified with a local church. And that local church is a missionary Baptist church. And I'm not interested to be identified with anything else. Right. And so you, you, you find the Church of Christ, their port of origin. You find the port of origin of every mainline denomination in history in recent years, since 1517. Now, uh, some hold to the idea that our Baptist people came out of the Protestant Reformation. Therefore, came out of the Catholic Church. That's unhistorical. And not only unhistorical, but it's unscriptural. There'd be no way that Baptists, without strong convictions, could have ever been Catholic. 
And there is no way that Baptists without strong convictions could have ever been Protestant. No way. So Baptists are operating, baptizing converts, preaching the gospel of God's grace, while Luther was still a Catholic priest. And now people go right straight on back past the Protestant Reformation, right straight on back. I believe till the days of the apostles, down till our day. What a heritage that is. And here we are in 1985, and it never been part of the Catholic Church. Here are in 1985, having never been part of the Protestant Church. No, no, I'm not a Protestant. Lutherans are, Presbyterians are, right. And some of the other European denominations, Protestant denominations are, but I'm not a Protestant. My people were never in the Protestant movement. My people were Baptists. I just told you that a moment ago. And there are hundreds and thousands of other Baptist people that fled Europe to come to this country where they could worship God according to the dictate of their heart. We hold that as a distinction. I am a Baptist. I am not a Protestant, nor a Catholic, you see. And the only major group of Christian people in the world are Baptists. Therefore, distinctively different, non-Catholic, non-Protestant. I want you to get that. Hold on to it. The newspaper says there are three groups in America, Protestant, Catholic, and Jewish. But the newspaper is wrong. Right, right. If one of those newsmen did a bit of research, they'd find out their error. And that would embarrass them greatly, wouldn't it? Baptists were never in the Protestant movement. The fact of the matter is, John Calvin and Martin Luther despise my people. I don't understand how a Baptist could call himself a Calvinist. Don't you dare call yourself a Calvinist. John Calvin was a Protestant. John Calvin was a politician. John Calvin sat and did nothing while my people were drowned for being a Baptist and being a believer. Don't you dare call me a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm a Baptist. That were distinctively different. Number two, Baptists have the distinction of being totally congregational. The only church in the world, congregational Baptist. Right. The Pentecostals have their overseers. The Methodists have their bishops. The Lutherans have their synod. The Presbyterians have their synod. The Catholics have their diocese. And not a Catholic church, not a Lutheran church, not a Presbyterian church, not a, a Pentecostal church of God in America, three. There's not a Presbyterian church, a, a Lutheran church in Chattanooga that owns this property. Not a Methodist church in Chattanooga that owns this property. Allen Park owns this church, every brick, every foot of it. But not anybody but Baptists are that congregational. We have no overseer, the pastor, the overseer of a local congregation. God placed him there as an overseer of a local congregation. But Brother, Brother Jeannie's uh, ministry is gone after he leaves this church. After I leave Tabernacle, my ministry, my authority is gone. I couldn't vote at Holland Park. If he had conference tonight, I'd have to hold my hands. I'm not permitted to vote. I'm not a member of this church. We're totally congregational. We own our property. We call our pastors. We pay our own bills. We pay our own pastor's salary. We send our own missionaries. 
We buy and build and own that which we buy and build. Nobody can take it away from the local congregation. It doesn't belong to the main headquarters. It belongs to the local church. I like that. Don't ever move that from me. I believe the local church ought to be operated by the congregation in totality. Right. And no outside power has any authority over a local assembly of a Baptist people. Now that makes us distinctively different. I, I remember years ago, I was sort of Baptist when they first started having what we call association of missionaries. And I was a young fellow then, and I said to myself, that sounds real good. Novice, you know, that sounds real good. But I found out we elected soon after they did, I found out we had elected a bishop. We had not elected a missionary. My association bought a gospel kit for that man. He said, we'll put it up. We'll have revivals in poor community. That rascal never put that tin up one time, as far as I know. He got him a nice office, and he set himself up as a bishop over the Greenville Baptist Association. It wasn't far down the road that he and I crossed grains together. I don't believe in bishops in an office downtown. I believe in a bishop in a pulpit in a congregation. Baptists are distinctly different in that we are congregational in our setup. Then again, Baptists are distinctly different in that uh, distinctly different in that we're totally autonomous. And I mean by that, there is no outside coercion. There is nobody that can tell a local church what they must do or how to do it. You know, I thank God for Dr. Robertson. I've all I've regarded him, respected him highly. One of my great champions. And I'm sure that this church dreaded to see him come to the day when he resigned. Now you have a new pastor, and I'm glad for that, that you have a new pastor. God bless Dr. Faulkner. I admire and respect Dr. Faulkner as much as any man I know of in the world. But you know, when Highland Park accepted Dr. Robertson's resignation, and when Highland Park called a new preacher, a preacher it's none of my business. Why Dr. Robertson left? It's none of my business who they call. And if I had messed into it without being invited, I'm treading where I have no business to tread. Now, you transfer that same illustration to your church. There is nobody in your community that can tell you as your church, and as, your, as a pastor, how to operate your church. You're completely free. I like that. Right. I like that. I'd much rather trust the congregation to get the right pastor than to trust the bishop to send him. And some of the crowd that's sent is not worth being sent, tell you the truth. I'd rather have it done like Baptists do it. Then number four, Baptists are distinctively different in that we are evangelical. I don't mean by that neo-evangelical. I mean evangelical. I mean by that terminology that our increase comes from our converts. Baptists have always built their churches by evangelism. And that's what I mean by evangelical. The Lutherans are not evangelical. And that's what I mean by evangelical. The Lutherans are not evangelical. Catholics are not evangelical. Episcopalians are not evangelical. They get their increase from pedo baptism. That's infant baptism. They get their increase from infant baptism. And by the way, let me say to you young preachers, learn to say that word pedo baptist. 
There's two words. The prefix means infant. You have the same prefix with a pediatrician, the doctor. The same uh, uh, prefix as that pedobaptist. Infant baptizers, that's what pedobaptists are. Learn that. When I was a young fellow, my pastor used to say that quite often in the pulpit. And I, I, I can hear it now when I was just a teenager. But we've gotten so everlastingly ecumenical in our day that we're afraid we'll offend the Methodists and the Episcopalians. And so we don't use that word pedobaptist anymore. But I want to submit to you that if it's wrong to baptize infants at the turn of the century, it's wrong to baptize infants in 1985. We are evangelical. Our increase comes from those that we win to a knowledge of the Lord. By the way, somebody said the Lutherans are having a hard time, and the Catholics are having a pretty hard time, and the Episcopalians are having a pretty hard time. Their roles are stagnant because they're killing the babies now by abortion from Washington. And so they don't get much of an increase anymore. But Baptists never have had that kind of increase to begin with. We get our increase out of the gully, out of the jailhouse, out of prostitutes on the street, from the gambling crowd, the cussing crowd, and the sinful crowd. And that makes us evangelical. And we've always been evangelical. We give out strikes, we preach on the street, we go to the jailhouse, we scream and cry and invite and urge and beg people to get right with God. And down through all the years, Baptists have gotten their increase by winning converts to the Lord. Now, I'm glad to be a part of that kind of a group, aren't you? Baptists have always been anti-pedo-Baptists. Anti-pedo-Baptists. Somebody comes to me and said, now, I was baptized as an infant. I want to join the church. I say, meet me in the Baptist church. If President Reagan would have come to Tabernacle Sunday morning, you won't, I'm sure, but if he were, I'd like to join Tabernacle, he would say, I say to the President, sir, meet me in the Baptist church. I can't accept your baptism. You were sprinkled. And Baptists abhor that. That isn't taught in the Bible. Anyway. And by the way, this is my Bible, and it's a King James. And it's not the new one, it's an old one. And it was given to me in 1963 by Dr. Oliver B. Green. I believe in this kind of a Bible, by the way. No charge extra for that. But Baptists are evangelical. And then again, Baptists are distinctly different in that we are missionaries. Baptist people have always been missionaries. You study the annals of history, and you'll find that one of the first missionaries, well, the first is Paul and Silas in Acts 13. But in history, the first mention of any kind of an organized missionary movement were among Anabaptists in Europe at 850 A.D. And down through the years, Baptists have always done some missionary work. But now in the Philadelphian day, there is no mission thrust in all the world like the one we now enjoy in 1985. Never, never in the history of the church from Pentecostal now has there been as many missionaries thrust out to all the world as right now. I marvel at that. And, and 90%, I think I'm safe to say, 90% of those are from Baptist heritage.
Baptist background. Did you know that the entire Presbyterian Church of America has only 400 missionaries on the field? Now, they are the wealthy people. The entire Methodist Church in America has only 600 missionaries on the field. The Independent Baptist Church of America, about 10,000 of them, on this night, October 8, 1985, has 6,000 missionaries on the field. The Great Southern Baptist Commission has only 3,700. The Independent Movement has double Southern Baptist. But the two together, Southern Baptist and the Independent Movement, have nearly 10,000 missionaries on the field around the world. That isn't touched by any group. And the reason is because our people have always been missionary and shall always be. I wouldn't want to be part of a church that was not sacrificially a missionary church. Then again, Baptists are distinctly different in that we are non-ecumenical, we are separated. We don't sit down with unbelievers. I want to say just a word to at that point. I'm an old preacher. I won't be around much longer. But when I die, I want you to know that, that I'm a fundamentalist and that I'm a separatist. I've been, I've been pastoring 45 years in Greenville County where I've lived most of my life. I have never attended one Greenville Ministerial Union meeting. And I've lived to become the oldest Baptist preacher in Greenville, oldest preacher, period, oldest pastor in Greenville, now serving full-time, working full-time. I've seen them all come and go. But I've never sat down at a ministerial union meeting. Oh, wait a minute, preacher. You must be a, a prejudiced sort of a fellow. You must be a rabble rouser. You must be contrary. You classify me any way you want. How can I sit down across the table from a tongue-talking assembly of God? I'd be arguing with him about his tongue. How can I sit across the table from a cigarette-smoking Baptist? I couldn't stand that. How can I sit across the table with a Lutheran priest on the other side with a crucifix around his neck? I'd argue with him about that. How can two walk together except that he agrees? I'll pray with you, I'll preach with you, I'll love you, I'll work with you, I'll give with you, I'll shout with you, as long as you believe right. But you won't go from the Bible. I can't have fellowship with you like I'd love to. I'll love you, I wouldn't hurt you, I wouldn't lift my hand to hurt you. But I couldn't have fellowship with you. You leave the Bible. I can't sit down with you. Right? I hope as long as I live, the Southwide Baptist Fellowship will always take an uncompromising fundamental stand. And I mean a separated stand. I, I hope I'll never live to see the day when a non-Baptist will occupy this pulpit. I mean, of the, of the Southwide Baptist Fellowship. Or a Southern Baptist, amen. Why do you have to go to Southern Baptist to preach at the Southwide Baptist Fellowship? That's an independent movement. He said, I don't like that. Well, I just like it or love it. You know, there's one good thing about growing old. 
You don't have to apologize quite as often. I'm not a criminal. I'm not a criminal. I cannot sit down with Pedro Baptist and fellowship with him. I can't put my arms around their neck. I'll not do that. I'll put my arms around the neck of you independent Baptist. And I'll weep with you and preach with you and shout with you. But I can't put my arms around an extraminical group. Baptists are distinctively different. Now, my soul never moved the landmark. You move right down the line. You set up these ancient landmarks that were handed down to you. The virgin birth. The verbal inspiration of this precious book. Without error, without contradiction. You know, when I was a young preacher, they said the book was full of contradiction and errors. You'll find that they're full of them. I've been plowing through this book for 45 years. In season, out of season, I have yet to find one contradiction or one mistake. I find nothing wrong with this book. I find nothing wrong with it. Oh, I want to preach it. And I've been doing that a long time. I hope God will let me preach it a bit longer. I want to preach it. Right. Well, you're about dead. you got one foot in the grave. It's not that foot in the grave that bothers the devil. It's that foot I have out of the grave. And that foot you have out of the grave is the one we're going to kick the devil with until we go home to be with Jesus. Believe it. Push it. Live it. Defend it. Count it. Support it with all that you have. Remove not the ancient landmark which our fathers have set. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Pulpit. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We pray that through the challenging preaching of the word of God today, that you will be encouraged to stay faithful in preaching the Word and hearing the Word. Lester Roloff many years ago said, the world's greatest need is preaching preachers. Let's pray that in this day and this hour, we will stay faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to The Baptist Pulpit.